So Orphan Sunday is a global church movement um, where thousands of churches are coming together, just like we are this morning, um, really to raise awareness for the orphan crisis and to uh, really study the heart of God on this topic and and what the role of the church is in, in caring for those most vulnerable among us. And what can we expect out of this morning? You know, it's going to be a different service than most Sundays at Parker Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, this morning, you know, we as a church body, we, we have an opportunity to take a small part in something uh, really big that God is doing within this movement across the globe. And, um, you know, this, this morning is not about guilt or pressure. You know, there, there's, uh, there's no expectation for people to get involved in orphan care where they're not called by God to do so. But, but rather it's a time for us to, to learn and reflect together on the reality of the orphan crisis and, um, to learn about God's love for the orphan and how that might find a place um, in our lives individually and together as a church. And you have some great facts or statistics up that, that you're going to share with us about orphan care. Yes, we're going to we're going to walk through a few slides together. Um, so, so what are the facts? Seventeen point eight million children worldwide have lost both parents. Um, these statistics are maintained uh, on the Christian Alliance for Orphans website, CAFO.org, and they're, they are uh, collected through the United States government and UNICEF. Uh, 153 million children worldwide have lost either one parent or both parents. So when we, when we look at these numbers, I mean, they're, they're sobering and they're very difficult to wrap our heads around, and I think you know, these numbers alone are, are what defines the, the orphan crisis in a lot of ways. Children are orphaned for many reasons. The majority of reasons include poverty, abuse, neglect, and abandonment. All orphans from infants to adults experience grief and loss. Some have more loss than others, but they, they all come from hard places. And I think this is important to, to think about because every orphan story is unique, but they all have a common thread in that they, they've all lost either some or all of their biological family in one way or another. And we talk, when we talk about that loss, it, it's sometimes through death and it's sometimes um, through other ways where uh, an environment for a child and, and their biological family has become particularly unhealthy or unsafe. Uh, and, and that relationship becomes uh, strained or, or severed in, in a lot of cases. What do the facts really mean? It means millions of orphan children have have a surviving parent and are part of a one-parent family that need help to remain together and to thrive. It means millions of orphans and other vulnerable children are in need of help to reunify with their birth families. It means millions of children are in need of families that are willing and suitable to adopt them. So this might challenge our, our definition of the orphan a little bit, but... Uh, I think it's important to to think about the broader biblical concept of of all children that are are vulnerable, um, maybe defenseless, and and um, you know without the nurture and protection that that a family is supposed to provide. Orphans are everywhere, from every age and race, in every country, in every state, in every town, and in your backyard. We're going to spend a few minutes um, taking a look at a video. Uh, this video was produced by the Pennsylvania Statewide and Adoption, Adoption and Permanency Network. Um, they interviewed several 
older youth from Pennsylvania that are currently legally cleared for foster care or adoption, and they're between between the ages of 12 and 20, and they're telling they're telling their story um, of what it feels like to be an orphan and why they want to be placed with a family. So um, we're just going to spend some time listening and learning together. We gave 12 Pennsylvania kids who were waiting to be adopted or fostered a chance to create their own documentary-style film. We asked them what having a family and permanent home would mean to them. These kids are not actors. They are real children, currently in the system. We began this project by identifying 12 older youth from across Pennsylvania. These kids were very eager to participate, and with the help of their caseworkers, got up early in the morning and traveled from all corners of the state to meet us in studios in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia over the course of two days. While each kid was different and had their own unique story, they all shared smiles and laughter, promise and hope, and had one important common goal, the goal of being adopted or placed in a caring foster home. All of the kids have been in foster care for some time now, and because they are over the age of 12, and in some cases have other disabilities, it can be challenging to find permanent homes for them. Parker. Um, I'm Shailene Connor, and I'm 20. I want to be able to come home from school and say, look, Mom, I got a report card. Have Christmas with, or Thanksgiving. Someone to love me and care for me. It's hard for me to get adapted because of my disability. I have something called SMA, it's spinal muscular atrophy. I need 24 hour nursing to take care of me. When I get ready for school, my nurses always tells me I'm Beyonce because I have a whole entourage fixing my hair and stuff. <laughs> I go to a special camp for special needs, and uh, it doesn't matter what your disability is, you're going to do it. They're going to find a way for you to do it. And that's like my favorite, favorite thing. I've been a family. For a long time, and I would really appreciate it if you would adopt me. The goal of this project is to break down the preconceived notions of what it would be like to adopt or foster an older kid. I want to have somebody to look out for me, and I will look out for them. We're just like everybody else. I want to be adopted and taken care of and not being lonely all the time. We're just kids wanting to have a home. These are wonderful, loving kids who have so much to offer to a family. They just need the chance. These young people are so much more than labels or statistics. Is that thing heavy? I'm Chance. I'm 14 years old, and I am currently living at an RTF in Bridgeville. The longest time I've ever... Uh, been in a family setting or anything support to that was uh, a year. People who have had a hard life can't stop at the hard life. They have to keep on moving forward and let the past uh, stay in the past, but uh, keep on living the future and changing the future. 
I like playing football and basketball. I'm also a little bit of a video game freak. I'd like to have a family adopt me because of the fact that I have been alone for a long time in my life and I would like a mother and father that I could follow in their footsteps. I'm Tommy, you know, I'm 13. I'll probably, probably be a cop. It was always my instinct to help people. I like playing football, soccer, tennis, baseball, kickball, and basketball. I would love to, to someone to take me to a, a, a game, like a Phillies or, uh, or an Eagles game. I'm already not finding a family all the time. I like to go to a home that I can call my own. I dream of being adopted and being taken care of and loved. Give me a chance and I can help. I'm Nikita Nice and I'm 14. I'm in eighth grade. I'd like to go to college someday. I am in foster care. My hobbies are playing soccer, swimming, and riding horses. And I play the clarinet. I want a family to adopt because I want to be special. I want to live one place forever. I like my new mom to go to the nail salon with me. Because I'm into makeup and girly, girly, girly things. <laughs> I would bring... Very good humor to a family. My name is Evan. I'm 16 years old. I live in a partial independent living program uh, in Crawford. They help me with a lot of stuff, and I'm able to uh, improve my independent living skills. A big step forward in anything that I want to do, even college. I would like a family because I never really had a family. I've had... Three birthdays, they were in placement, and four Christmases, they were also in placement. Um, I've never really had anything before that. If I could have someone to relate to me to actually be there for me, it would be absolutely phenomenal. I probably won't see my siblings uh, ever again. I can only hope they're doing well. They're a lot stronger than I'm sure I gave them credit for. I love math and science. My least favorite subject is social studies and geography because there is way too much to do in that. <laughs> I used to get F's and D's because I want to pay attention in school. Now that I'm putting forth effort with my school, I'm pretty much a straight-A student. I want the support, emotional support more than any other support, but to actually have someone that's there for me, I don't know, be there for me and just support my decisions would be absolutely wonderful.
Jen came to us and had a great idea of inviting a family from our area who's adopted a child in and just interviewing. And we thought that was a great idea. So we asked him who she had in mind, and she came up with Carl and Kim Kramer, who are here this morning. And, Carl, if you can come up and, Kim, and share with us. Carl, after uh, getting that email from Jen, I realized Carl, Carl's a friend of mine. And we've had lunch a couple times, and, you know, like, he's a pastor at North Point Community Church, uh, leads worship there, and so he's giving up what, well, they're both giving up their Sunday morning at their church to be with us. And uh, I think there's a slide, uh, a picture of their family that we can put up. Uh, here, here are their five children. It's hard to tell who's adopted, right? Uh, that's Lincoln on the left, and he's six, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely. Kids are dismissed. Sorry, thank you. How did I forget that? You know, you just wonder. Somebody, somebody told me you were going to forget that. Somebody, I forget most weeks. It's pretty predictable. <laughs> anyway, so Carl and Kim are going to share with us about the adoption process and how they came to this place. How did you come to a decision like, I mean, it's a gigantic decision to adopt a child. How did you come to that place where you were ready for that and go, okay, I think God's calling us to it. How did you come to that conclusion? Sure. Um, we... Uh, when we uh, were dating, uh, we talked quite a bit about adoption. It was just something that was uh, an interest for us uh, even before we were married. And um, I would say probably two years into our marriage, we started uh, getting trained um, through a foster care agency and uh, going through uh, the steps that, to take to, to move forward with foster to adopt. Um, and that's when we got pregnant um, with Ellie, who's here, um, and uh, – uh, that we, we felt like we needed to, to put Foss to adopt on, on pause. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> long story short, you know, we, we had biological kids, and um, we started talking about it again after we had our fourth. And uh, I went to Haiti. I really felt God uh, gave me a connection with Haiti, and I was able to go with the team in uh, January of 2011. And I came back, and it was such an emotional experience and such a, a great experience. And I came back and was just like, what? What does this mean? What's going on here, God? And at the time, uh, we knew of a Haitian uh, sibling group that was looking to be adopted, and and I just felt God, you know, it just impress on me. Now's the time, and the, and those kids were in my mind, and I and he was just kind of, you know, saying these these kids need a family, and I don't think he was talking about those specific kids, but he was like, now's the time to start moving forward with adoption again, and that's when we got started getting trained again. Okay. How old was Ellie when you adopted Lincoln? So what was the span there, and how old were your other children? Well, when his when the adoption was final, which was this last March, um, Ellie was eight. Okay. She's nine now. And Isaac was six. No, seven. seven. Liam, uh, Liam was six. Six, you know. It's Maya hard to... Three. Maya's three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Lincoln fits right in the middle. That's of right. Four, he does. He's, a, he's a, you know, we have two six-year-olds now. They're, they're, he and Liam are both in kindergarten. And two six-year-olds. I have one. <laughs> two six-year-olds. I'm just going to go there. How did you deal with the uncertainty of how life was going to change? How did you deal with this moment when this child came in? It's a vast difference, you know, a dynamic change in your family. What were some of the things you saw and how did you address them? You mean after he was with us? Yeah, after okay. he was with you, yeah. Um, 
Well, I think our kids really, they transition, the biological kids transition the easiest. Um, he had a really difficult time because he was removed so suddenly from his foster mom who had raised him for four years. So in his little four-year-old mind, it was pretty much like being kidnapped. He was picked up, dropped in our living room, and his caseworker from Philadelphia was ready to head out the door ten minutes later. Fortunately, our caseworker was like, whoa, you can't leave him like that. So um, I think he dealt with a lot of trauma in his transition just for the first six months, and he didn't act out, um, but it was very emotionally draining for us just because of his grief um, in transitioning to our family. You had a great story about reading Curious George. Yes. he um, When he first... For the first couple of weeks when he came to live with us, he uh, we would read we always read to our kids at night before bed, and he really wanted to read a lot of Curious George books because he identified with George. Whenever George got separated from the man with the yellow hat, he would say, "That's his name was Najir when he first came to us. Um, that's Najir, and the man with the yellow hat is Willa." And then at the end of the story, you could see his physical relief when George found the man with the yellow hat. Yeah, identified with George. He did. Lost he in the did. park or the zoo or wherever. Yes, it was. And very you can't, you can't manufacture that. <clears throat> no. You know, that's him being part of our family, experiencing that moment. Just you're just reading, and he's he's seeing this connection. He was able to process his grief because he was able to see that and and relate to it. And and I remember, you know, having this out of body experience as he's doing this, thinking I didn't do anything. I just kind of showed George. up. He he's you know God's doing this to help him step through this process. And that took about six months. It did. And at times it was very helpless feeling. And a lot of things, too, um, what was difficult with him, too, is there is some learning disability there for him, but it was difficult to determine what was actually learning disability and what was trauma-induced because there's there's a block there when you experience a trauma like that. And so it can mimic, um, you know, regression or difficulties in learning. Okay. What have you seen God do in your family and in Lincoln's life since the adoption? Um, I don't know. I just I, I think our kids have been, uh, our biological kids have been Jesus to me and and to Lincoln. They 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 without a pause, they accepted him. They they were it, he was he was a brother, and uh, you know they're on board with adoption sometimes before long before I am, uh, with the emotional, you know, stuff you have to go through as an adult. So, so you process that ahead of time with the family, kind of yeah, talking right. the other kids through it. Yeah, right. they pray every night for more kids. <laughs> Isaac wants to have ten kids. They want ten kids. <laughs> <laughs> ten. Good deal. Yeah. We'd have to hire more child care this yes, morning. Yes, you would. Yeah, okay. Aren't you Good. glad we didn't get that placement yet? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying anything about that. You know... <laughs> You talked when we when we talked ahead of time. You talked about some, uh, especially Carl talked about the some of the false assumptions or maybe the idealism that goes with being either a foster parent or being interested in adoption. Can you talk to that? What are some of the misconceptions you have people have around you? Well, I think that um, you even see a video like this, and your heart is naturally tugged towards these kids. I, I mean, I think most people would see a video like this and say, "Oh, you can come live with me," right? Um, and, and that may be God. It could just be that we're compassionate people because that's how God's wired us. Um, but I think one of the most dangerous things about moving towards uh, adoption or foster care of any kind 
is, is having stars in your eyes too much. Um, and we went through our training, and my wife, more so than I, she would read blogs of the worst possible case scenario. Uh, she wanted to know what could possibly go wrong. And, and when you go through the training and you hear about the, the things that, that kids struggle with, how bad it can be, and you still feel like you're supposed to do this, I think that's, that's the Lord. That's God. Um, but oftentimes you, you, you see people who are like, you know what, we don't, we don't care. We're just going to move forward. We're going to make this work. And if you get too starry-eyed about it, you can really end up getting hurt. And, and, and I was thinking of the C.S. You know the C.S. Lewis quote about... Uh, how to protect your heart from being broken. Do you know that quote? Yeah. I was thinking about that today, and, I, and I've said before, don't get into the adoption game or the foster care game if you don't want your heart to be broken because that's the business that you're getting into. And C.S. Lewis, I, I was trying to find it on my phone, but I couldn't do it, but he has this great quote where he says something to the effect of, if you don't want your heart to be broken, don't ever give it away to anything, not even an animal. And store it away, keep it safe, keep it secure. And in that safe, secure place, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable and irredeemable. You can't get into this without getting your heart broken. And if, even if you want to help people that are doing foster to adopt or, or, or adoption, even if you want to help them, if you really want to help them, your heart's going to be in that game. You know, when I hear you say that, I just have, I have to think, you know, God could have protected his heart, and I have broken it a lot of times. You know, he could have stayed up there and said, I'm not going to love Josh Bitework or any of the other people on this planet, but he has chosen to be an adoptive parent. Again, I don't want to preach a sermon. That, that's coming later, but anyway. Well, these kids, a lot of these kids, they'll tell you, they're up there saying, I'll do anything, just adopt me, but they've been broken in this system, and they, some of them don't know how to be grateful, and a lot of people go into adoption thinking, this kid is going to be so grateful because I saved them from this horrible experience. Well, they don't know anything else but this horrible experience. And some kids might be grateful, but if you're going into it thinking this kid should be grateful to you for what you're doing for them and how much you're sacrificing, then I think you should take a step back and do some more praying because you're going to be sacrificing, and you may never get a thank you from them. Since not everyone is in a position to adopt or be a foster parent, what are other ways in which people at Parker Ford can participate in orphan care? Are there other things that are maybe not quite that level of intensity that you could think about? Well, um, on a personal level, if you know someone who's considering it um, or who, you know, is going through the process and then when they get the child, for us, huge. It was huge when people brought us meals when he first came to us. Um, a lot of people went out and bought clothing for him um, because in Philadelphia you don't get a clothing allowance. This kid just comes to you and you need to be prepared. Um, and we had several families who went through the process and um, spent a lot of money to be approved as respite foster family, which means that when we needed babysitting, we could send him to friends and people that he knew um, as opposed to just calling up Montgomery County Children and Youth and saying, hey, do you have a random foster family who can take our kid for overnight or a couple of hours? When he first came to us for several months, when we would leave to go somewhere, he'd say, am I coming back? He didn't know. And so it was very important for us that he knew the people he was going to and that we would be coming back for him. Um, and it, it costs 
about a hundred dollars to get all the clearances and then you have to have someone come walk through your house and it's it's kind of pain but these people were willing to do it and that was huge and as a parent you know i'm 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 quick to ask for help, but I'm not. I can't even imagine saying to my friends, "Can you get your fingerprinting done?" The FBI. Would you mind doing? I mean, (laughs) you're probably going to have to take the initiative and say, "I want to be there for you guys. Uh, We're going to get this done." You know, Um, and say something about, uh, you know, what we what we talked about, what we missed before. How uh, like people can be a a resource and yeah, if you don't. if you don't know anybody who's adopting or who's fostering, there are other options for you. Um, I know Josh is going to talk later about Project Purpose, which is a, a tutoring and mentoring program. That helps children and families. I think the best way that you can help orphans is to prevent them from being orphans. Um, there's a program in Montgomery County where they're trying to keep kids in their natural families, so they're offering they're having people become trained to do respite care for the birth family. So when the birth family is incredibly stressed out and they just need a break and they don't have anybody to help them, there are these families that are trained and they can say, hey, I'll take your kid for the weekend so you can go do whatever you need to do. Um, you know, So there are a lot of different options, and Josh is going to talk about that later, about some options you can get into if you don't know anybody who's in that, uh, you know, who's adopting or fostering. Thought you were going to say something more on that one. No. Well, uh, I, I don't know what else to say. I, that's I think she 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 encapsulated it right there. It's it's you know pe- people don't think about they think well about foster care they think about adoption they don't think about orphan prevention mm-hmm. um, and and if I think if you get into the game you're going to hear a lot about that because they're realizing how damaging it is to to pull kids away from the only homes they've ever known even if those homes are severely dysfunctional. It's still extremely traumatizing for kids. And so, the, the, you know, if we can fix, you know, and help these people walk to become better parents, I mean, it just makes sense. You know, so they don't have to be taken out of that environment to begin and with. And even look around your neighborhood, look around your own family. There are some people who just, they don't know how to be good parents, and you can help keep a kid out of care, out of state care, by just being a mentor to these parents and walking alongside them and showing them how to be appropriate with their kids. Yeah. There's a lot more they could when we, when we talked before this, it was probably 35 or 40 minutes, yeah. and I didn't want it to end. I, I went away changed by conversation with Carl and Kim, so I know they have a lot more to share. But I'm just going to ask if we could close this segment by you praying for Parker Ford, Carl. If you could just lead us in prayer and pray for our church. Sure. Our great Father. We wouldn't be here if it were not for your love. And indeed, I'm so thankful that uh, the Bible tells us that you're so full of love that it's, it's a word that describes you. God is love. And it's that love that, that draws us to you. It's that love that sent your only son to, to die for us, not so you could just pay for our sins, but your word tells us we're part of your family, that we can, we can call you daddy. And indeed, that's what Jesus said to do. This is the kind of intimacy, this is the kind of relationship, this family relationship that you've invited us into. And, and, and sometimes we're, we're so afraid of what that might mean. And we, we have a hard time going deep with you. 
but we want as much of you as you're willing to give us. And I pray for this congregation in Jesus' name that you would move with the power of your spirit in each life to, to show them how they can they can serve you in this regard. It might be that someone needs to adopt someone. It might be that someone needs to get into the foster care game. It might be that someone is thinking right now of their neighbor that they need to just press into that relationship because they know something's not okay there. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, please direct our hearts to what you want us to do. We trust you for the futures of our families. We trust you for the futures of our churches. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Psalm ten fourteen. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. Psalm 68, 5 and 6. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 1, 17. The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew twenty-five forty. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. Give them food and clothing. Deuteronomy ten eighteen. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27. You know... Um, when uh, a pastor has to leave their church on a Sunday morning to go somewhere else to another church, it's a, uh, it's a sacrifice for that church, and it's also a sacrifice for that family who's trying to figure it out, especially when you're carrying a whole bunch of kids in tote. Um, and so, you know, Carl is uh, a pastor of worship at North Point that meets over in Limerick and is a good friend of Josh and, and mine, and we were just really grateful that he and Kim could be here and share their story with us. And, uh, you know, you can hear their heart bleed through in uh, that interview. So can we just thank them um, for coming and being with us today? Thanks. You can pull the lights up, uh, please. You know, um, we are, I just, we don't have time for a full message today. 
But uh, what I do want to do is uh, take a passage of Scripture that speaks to this topic and just make two points out of it, okay? So we're going to be looking at Romans in chapter 8, starting in verse 14 down to 17. And as I read that, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. So please join me, stand. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you are always welcome to grab one of the ones in the back and take it home with you, please. It's a gift from us, okay? Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Two points from that passage. First of all, adoption is available for all of us, and we all need it. Adoption is available for every single one of us, and we all need it. Why? Let me explain. Human relationships work this way. Over here, let's say there's a full spectrum of human relationships. And on one side over here, we have the contractual relationship, where there's a contract. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I go to work and put in this amount of time, and you pay me this. Cause and effect. I do this, you give me that. We have a contract. That's a business relationship. That's this side of the spectrum. All the way over on the other side of the spectrum over here is a different kind of relationship. And this isn't a business relationship. This isn't a contract relationship. This is a covenant relationship. And this is a family relationship. This relationship means that I might not scratch your back, but I'm still your brother, whether you like it or not. You know, it it might be that I totally mess up and I do something mean to you, but I'm still your child, whether you like it or not. You know, you're still my kid. Even if you drive me crazy, you're still my kid. That's a family relationship. It's not based on cause and effect. It's not based on a contract. This is a family. It's based on a covenant. Of course, marriage is to be the moment where we go from over here, which is dating, where we're, we're kind of feeling this whole thing out and seeing, testing the waters that what's this like? What's that? And we move over to this place in marriage where we make a covenant and we say in a family relationship, we're in it through thick and thin, regardless of what happens to you or what happens to me or how we deal with each other, we are in this thing. This is a covenant. We've moved from that kind of relationship to this kind of the relationship. In the middle of it is this thing that we call friendship. And friendship is like, well, we enjoy one another and so we're in it together. And when we go through tough times, we try to help each other out. But every now and then, this is no longer a healthy friendship, you know? And this is not helping or benefiting either of us and things just kind of move on, Okay complete and total contract relationship, business. Complete and total family relationship means covenant. Uh, no matter what happens, I'm in the family and in the middle is kind of friendship. All right, that's, that's kind of the full spectrum of human relationships. Somewhere along the line, we fall into those in our relationships. An orphan, when they're born, in the most formative years of their life, never experience this family relationship over here. Okay, they never experienced that, which means this, that they grow up in an environment that says 
Every relationship in my life, every place where another human being is going to appreciate me or respect me or think I'm beautiful or think I'm worthwhile, it's all going to be because I have done something that they want. I don't know if you heard the one kid in there. He said, give me a chance. Give me a chance and I'll show you that I can bring something to the table. It's the mindset of an orphan. Mindset of an orphan. You need me. I have something that I can offer. I'm worthwhile. You know, he's trying to sell himself. Here's the contract. I said, come on, just sign the contract. Because that kid grew up the formative years of in his life, not knowing that if he messed up, that mom and dad would still be there tomorrow. That the food on his table wasn't dependent on his behavior the day before. See, the formative years of an orphan says that I'm alone and my worth is based on my performance in all of my relationships. It's a sad thing to grow up in that kind of environment. And it really shapes how we deal with the world, you know. And there's some things over here that actually we find that someone who's grown up in an orphan environment, they actually, quote unquote, grow up faster than the rest of us, which means that they learn to depend on themselves, to do what they got to do in order to get by, and they learn to maximize their abilities to get as much out of life as they can. And we call that growing up. And in some ways it is because many of us are sitting on a gold mine of talent that God has given us and we don't learn how to maximize it because we're resting. We don't realize, really feel the need to maximize all of it. However, there's a whole thing that goes missing for someone in an orphan mentality. And what that is is this. If I'm in an orphan mentality, it means that I have to constantly, consistently be thinking about every move I make and I feel the full weight of my existence on my shoulders all the time. So where's my focus? My focus isn't on you. I have to micromanage me. And that's what the scriptures say in Romans 8. It says, I did not give you a spirit of slavery again in which you are enslaved to fear. Because in this mindset, I have to be afraid that every time I don't perform, that you won't like me. That I have nothing to offer. And now I'm stuck, afraid, and everything I do has to be in order to please you or please you, and I can't learn to truly give what it is that I have to give because I'm micromanaging in order to perform. Over here on the other end, even the best human family, best human family that you can think of, you might have grown up with an awesome human family, you know? But there's this one problem. It might be that you totally mess up and tomorrow you'll still be a sister in that family or you'll still be a a mom or a brother or whatever you are in that family. However, it doesn't mean that your parents or your brother or sister is going to like you tomorrow. You know, they might be like, you stink. Get away from me. Or they might be like, that was really mean. I don't want to be around you anymore. And I realize that you're still my brother or sister or you're still whatever, but get away from me and at least keep that part of yourself away from me. If I see that part of you again, we're going to have problems. And you might be my brother or sister, but I don't mind giving my brother or sister a good swift kick in the tail. You know, and that's the kind of relationship that can happen in the family. And what that means is, is even though I'm born into a family, my level of respect that I receive from other people, how much people like me, how much they feel I am worth is still dependent on my behavior, even in that consistent relationship, which means if I want my parents to appreciate me, I still have to perform. 
If I want my brother or sister to still be cool with me, then I have to hide certain parts of my ugliness so that there isn't disdain against me. And so even in this environment, we still have that atmosphere of fear in which we're not completely able to be ourselves for fear of rejection, which means that every single one of us struggles with this spirit of fear that is talked about right here. It says, I have not given you a spear, a spirit of a spirit of slavery, because a spirit of slavery is based on my performance. And so I have to be afraid that I'll never perform appropriately. And what God says, instead, I've given you a different spirit a spirit of adoption. Adoption. See, that four-letter word fear just messes with us so bad. We're afraid of what's going to happen, and so we turn inward, and we only look at ourselves. But there's another word. It's a five-letter word, and it trumps the word fear every time. It's a five-letter word, and it's a theological word, and it might be small in size, but it's gigantic in its impact. It's this word that's all across the scriptures from, from cover to cover, but we see it most profoundly as Jesus bleeds this word all over a cross and all over our lives. And that word is grace. And the word grace, what it says is, you have done absolutely nothing to earn my love, but I'm looking at you while you are completely and totally rebellious. And I'm saying, I love everything about you right now. I just want to draw close to you right now. I want you closer to me because while you are still a sinner, Christ dies for you. While we have absolute, not only do we not have anything to offer, we are rebellious, running away from him, dragging his name through the mud, saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And he is chasing after us like a hound from heaven, saying, I'm going to track you down because I want to be with you because I think you are that special. That's the word grace. Unmerited favor from God. He respects you. He thinks you're beautiful. He thinks you're amazing. And he won't think anything less when you mess up. And he won't think anything better when you perform well. Because that relationship is not based on performance. It's not a business relationship. That's false religion that says that. Over here is pure, undefiled religion, which is based on grace. And it says, God, my dad loves me because he chose to. Because while I was still a sinner, he said, I love you and I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to wash you in my blood and present you to myself holy and blameless without any spot or any wrinkle. And when I see you, it's always going to make me smile. Every time. That's grace. We all need adoption, and it's available for all of us. Point number two is that in order to access that and experience the fullness of that grace, we have to participate in it. We actually have to become a part of it in order to experience it. There's nothing we can do to earn grace. You can't earn grace. The the definition doesn't work out. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God giving it to us. However, in order to experience the grace, you have to participate in the grace. This is why it says, if you are children of God, then you are also heirs. That is co-heirs with Christ, which means we can receive everything that Jesus receives if, it says, if, We suffer with Christ. What does that mean? The the big if there is that the grace exists, but if I want to experience it, then I have to engage with Christ in his work in order to experience this grace. There's this weird thing that's wired into the DNA of the kingdom of God, and it says this, that until I move from a place where I just 
get it and understand it and acknowledge it and receive it in my head. I actually have to get to a place where it goes out to my hands and I become a part of it before it'll move from my head down to my heart. It has to go through my hands. It's really weird. I have to actually do it to get it from here to here. I can only fully receive it and experience it to the extent that I perform it. And this is how we know. If you look at, at uh, the James with me, look at the, uh, the book of James, and, uh, and this is the, our last passage here. James, and when you turn to verse one, or, or chapter 1, verse 22, and you know this passage, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See that? If you are hearers only, you're deceiving yourself. And how are we deceiving ourselves? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What does that mean? Well, it means this. I can hear and acknowledge the word of God. And James also tells me that there's other things that acknowledge the existence of God. Even demons believe in God. And you know what? When they believe in God, they shudder. It's like the Mufasa word, you know? Gives me the shivers. You know, that's what demons, when they hear the word of God, they shudder because they believe that God exists. But the difference between one who believes in God up here and one who trusts God and can experience the grace of God is the one who it's not stuck up here, but it makes its way out here. They're doers of the word. And if I don't do the word, then I'm like a person who looks in the mirror and says, I'm a child of God. I'm totally loved by God. Look at this, man. I'm in the family of God. And then we walk out of church and we begin to live in the contractual relationships, trying to get my whole life to perform so that I can feel okay about myself, completely forgetting who I am. And I end up over here living in a false religion that says I can earn grace and earn favor from God. And I can't. And he says, there is one pure, undefiled religion. And here it is, if we read on in James, you read on, there's one pure, undefiled religion. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the law of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Amen to that. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is that saying? Is that saying that if I go and visit a bunch of orphans that all of a sudden God's going to feel better about me? No. Not at all. My righteousness is filthy rags to God. That's what the scriptures say. Filthy rags. Won't impress God at all. But here's the deal. If I'm playing golf, okay, my golf swing, hopefully, is a lot different than my baseball swing. Or else we have a problem. And if I'm into playing golf, you know, and I'm sitting here playing golf, but my dad says, you'd make a really good baseball player, son. And he comes over and he wants to teach me how to swing properly and what I should be doing with my elbows and everything. But I'm in the middle of playing golf and I, and for golf, I should keep this elbow, this arm straight, you know, and knees bent a little bit. And, and the whole swing is different. But if I'm thinking golf and he's teaching me baseball, I just don't get it. It doesn't sink in. And when we're sitting here in contractual relationships in our life, trying to perform and God's trying to tell us about grace, we might on some intellectual level think we get it, but we don't actually get it until we get to the place where we're giving to those who have nothing to give in return, namely orphans and widows. 
who have nothing to give in return. And when we extend love to those people and compassion to those people and we give ourselves on behalf of them, then we are now in a place where we get what he's talking about with this whole grace thing. I'm giving to people who have nothing to give back to me. That's not a contractual relationship. That's a covenantal one. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that relationship, I start to actually realize that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And until I get there, I can hear it. And I can say I get it, but I'm deceiving myself. I don't actually get it yet. That ancient saint, St. Francis, ever heard of me as this great prayer that you hear at weddings sometimes and everything? And he says this, he says, Grant, O Lord, that I not so much serve, but be served, not so much be served, but rather serve. Because it is in giving that I receive. And what's his point? Is that work salvation that if I work real hard, God will be impressed? No, it's just this. Man, you've died on the cross. You bled out for me. You love me to death. But somehow, I'm still acting like I'm not loved. Somehow, I'm still acting like i got to perform. Help me, God, to get in the family business so that I can feel the heart of the Father. i got to get up in here. You know, i got to be a part of it. For many years, people have looked at the church and said it's full of hypocrisy. And our generation won't be the one to change that because it is full of hypocrisy and we're a bunch of hypocrites. And we will never love to the extent that we look entirely like God. But what he says is, is that our inheritance in the kingdom of God is that we will share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And what that means is, is I will begin to look like my dad. And my life will have purpose because it will begin to reveal the character and love of God. And I can't make that happen. He can make it happen. But until I get in the family business and say, I'm just going to go ahead and be a part of this, I might be terrible at showing compassion with other people. I don't have to do it good. I don't have to do it well. All I have to do is get in the game. And when I get in the game, God has access to my life in a whole other way where he can take the truth that I say I believe in and he can help me to begin to experience it and know it to the point where it actually sets me free. And I'm no longer just a hearer of the word, but I'm a deep, deep abider in that word. At Parker Ford Church, we say that we are people following Christ, a people following Christ in three directions, up in a personal relationship with him, in in an accountable relationship with each other, and out in a missional relationship with the world. If this relationship where we read the word and we pray and we worship God never makes it to the place where we go out, then it's never completed the cycle and it'll get stuck and jammed up. It's got to get out there. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've got to get in it to understand it. Okay? And that's the message today. Um, Carl and Kim shared with us a few different ways that we can uh, be a part of things, even if we're not uh, adopting or uh, being a part of foster care. There are some specific ways at Parker Ford Church that we're already engaged in that and that you can plug into. Josh is going to come and share uh, briefly with us those things that we already have going on that you can jump into. And from there, we're going to go into a time of worship eventually where uh, we, what we're doing is we're giving, we're, we're going to be giving to a specific organization that Jen's going to talk about, and then we're also going to sing. And when we sing, this is why we sing. You need to hear this. True love, true grace, it comes from one place and one place alone. There is no place where we can ever find that grace except in the heart of the Father. It's the only place. And so we end this service with a song, not begin it with a song. 
Because at the end of this service, we need to look to one place, not only for the care of the orphan, but for the care of the orphan. You know what I mean? And we need to worship the only Father who can truly love us. Thanks, Tim. We're going to run through just a list of how you might be able to get involved. The first two are really obvious, and they're the big ones. And some of you are going to say, you know, I am not called to that, and you're right. Uh, Not everybody can foster a parent, a child, or adopt a child. That's just the way it is. And, you know, we don't look for people uh, to just think this is the end-all ministry. What we look for is who's God calling? And so one of the things I'd ask during this time is that you just consider, what is God calling me to do? What has he positioned me to do so far, and what can I do? So fostering and adopting are two of those possibilities. Uh, but then there's there's mentoring. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe you know someone who might not might want to know more about this and tell them about it. In other words, maybe we need to develop a culture of adoption and of grace towards people who are caring for other folks. And so maybe one of the things you need to do is go, okay, who in my circle of friends is interested in this and how do I encourage them? One of the things that Carl and Kim said in the first service, not so much in the second, but they they said that there were people in their life that were naysayers when they started to talk about adoption. And those people tore down what God was doing in their life rather than built up. And you can be an encourager or you can be someone who stands in the way of what God's doing. And so we need to develop as a culture, uh, as a community, uh, an ethic, an understanding of what it means to support people who involve themselves in this sort of ministry. Maybe you could mentor an older child. You know, our church supports as a mission organization, Project Purpose, which meets on the northeast end of Pottstown, and uh, they have a ministry to Rolling Hills there, and they have a mentoring program two nights a week uh, for kids. And it's really interesting how many of those kids are either in danger of being orphaned or maybe are also or are already orphaned. And so that's a, a real chance for us to be involved in some ministry. You know, orphan prevention is the same thing as orphan care. If we keep a child in their family because of what God's doing through us, that's as good as finding a new family for someone who needs one, right? And so these are some of the things that we can be involved in to help that way. Maybe you could help a foster family by becoming a respite family. That's actually an actual call. It's an actual training program. Uh, Kobe's has a training program for it. I know one of the families in our church is going through it right now. And so we can become involved in the respite ministry. And so maybe you're somebody who said, I can't give all of the time in my life to adapting or foster parenting, but what I can do do is I can become involved in providing respite for some folks who who have adopted or who have fostered uh, a, a child. Maybe you could visit some orphans. And there are people in our area who would just love to have a visit. I have been involved with a family like that, Shelby and I, and, and been connected to some kids in a situation like this. And it's been a great blessing to us, and I think it's been a great blessing to those children. And so giving some time is really worth a whole lot. Giving some money. There are organizations around our area that need your finances. We're going to take up a collection in just a moment for one of those organizations that reaches out in our area and blesses some kids with a home. And so that's one of the the things that you can do. And then last, here's some things that Parker Ford already is doing. You know, we took an ass- or made an assessment, went through our church and said, okay, how are uh, the ministries of Parker Ford Church actually blessing. And in fact, we we probably missed one. After the first service, one guy who was involved in Cub Scout said, you wouldn't believe the number of families we're ministering to and at a, 
Cub Scouts meetings who are in danger of losing their kids or maybe they're taking somebody in. And so Cub Scouts is one of the things that you might not have ever thought of that's involved in orphan care. Journey Kids, we have at least six kids that I've identified uh, who have gone through our program who are uh, in danger or already don't are not living with a parent. God's Kitchen, which is the Monday night soup kitchen that Tim was involved in. If you were here last week, you heard a bit about that. Um, there are several families where there's an orphan situation or a uh, close-to orphan situation, and God's Kitchen provides for them one night a week a meal, and there's many meals like that around the Pottstown area. The Spring City Food Pantry provides meals like that, the Salvation Army. One thing not on there is Operation Backpack in Pottstown, one of our mission organizations, and some of, uh, some of us volunteer there, and they work to have meals for kids kids who are maybe in orphan situations or whose parents are not available for whatever reason on weekends. And so there's a whole list of things that Parker Ford Church already does that is either involved in orphan prevention or orphan care. And you can be involved in those ministries and you can just be aware of the fact that they're out there and that our church already, some of the things we do is very connected to what we're talking about today. There's a last thing that we thought we just need to take an immediate step. Sometimes when you hear all this information, it just it, it hits you pretty hard, right? And there's a lot of statistics and stories flying around. And what we wanted to do was create one way for, for us to give. And so we're going to take, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, a special offering this morning. Uh, and it's going to support a ministry called the Cloud Family Home, the Cloud Boys Home. And Jen's going to come and share with us about that so you know what you're giving to. But this next offering, everything will go to the, the Cloud Boys Home, where a number of boys live who are uh, they're not able to be able to, to be adopted or fostered at this point. So tell us about that. Yes, that's right. Um, this picture uh, is a picture of the Cloud Home for Boys. Um, that is Shelly Chumard in the photo. She has been working for this home for 25 years. And um, it, it is a home for, uh, only for orphan boys uh, between the ages of 9 and 18. Um, it is owned by the Friendship House, which is a foster care adoption and family services organization, which has locations in Pottstown, Philadelphia, and Scranton. And um, the boys at this home are particularly vulnerable. Um, there's about four living there right now. They can house up to 10. Uh, they have two 13-year-olds, a 14-year-old, and a 16-year-old. Um, but they have they have particularly difficult uh, past. They, the, most all of them have been abused in, in some fashion, and, and they don't have the skills to, to live within the, the structure of a family right now. Um, so they're unable to be fostered or adopted at this time. And, and I think that's what makes them particularly vulnerable. They're often sort of the forgotten kids in, in, in the orphan community. Um, but the cloud home, you know, they, they create an environment of safety and love, which is often the first place that they've experienced that. And they, they teach them life skills and they teach them how to work through their pain and they, they cook together and they clean together and they do it all together. Um, so a lot of times these boys really do begin to trust again while living at, at the cloud home. Um, when I was speaking with Shelly, I asked her specifically, uh, what could our church do to, to bless these boys and what specifically might they enjoy receiving? And uh, she said new sneakers, book bags, art supplies, uh, food or shower products. So uh, whatever we receive today, whatever you feel uh, led to give, it, it's going to benefit uh, the boys at this home. And we're going to be able to purchase these items and wrap them for Christmas and uh, take them up there so that they can um, they can have these for Christmas. So. Um, you know, whatever you feel led to give is, is between you and God, but, but thanks for being a part of this this morning, and I, I'm looking forward to blessing the Cloud Hill. 
absolutely. And everything, again, does go to this, this home, the cloud home. It's connected. We know Pottsville is not Pottstown. Uh, we know that. And so if you're wondering, the, the Friendship House ministry that is overseeing this ministry specifically has a station on High Street in Pottstown. And so we're actually kind of connected uh, to a local ministry. And yet the home where the boys actually live is in Pottsville. And we thought that was the best place for our, for our giving. Join me in prayer before we take that second offering.